Welcome to the Wake Up Call podcast. I'm your host, Alicia Hopkins, life coach, recovering perfectionist, crazy animal lover, and your go-to friend for all things wellness. If you're the type of woman who constantly feels burned out, overwhelmed, and like you have zero time for yourself, then this is the show for you. I'll show you that it is completely possible to live a life you look forward to every single day by learning simple, actionable steps to start putting yourself first. Burnout and overwhelm are not welcome here, but a little bit of crazy sure is. So if you're ready for your wake up call with a girl who's not afraid to drop an F-bomb every now and then, let's dive in. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Wake Up Call podcast. Man, I am excited for this episode today because it dives into a topic that I think a lot of us have a hard time with. And I'm talking about food, but more specifically, I'm talking about times that we turn to use food for reasons other than nourishment, right? I know in my life, I have a pattern of using food in an emotional sense, right? I'm stressed out, I'm overwhelmed, and I turn to food. I am notoriously, I am a self-proclaimed emotional eater. And I think a lot of us struggle with this too. And inevitably what ends up happening is a couple of things. One, our relationship to food becomes kind of complicated and we find ourselves falling into this trap of looking at food as it's good, it's bad, right? We label what food is. And with that comes a lot of feelings around shame and judgment, not to mention restriction, punishment around food. But I think that we find ourselves judging ourselves. And what I'm so excited today with my guest, Stephanie Mira Fox, she is a somatic nutritional counselor and holds a master's degree in somatic psychotherapy. And don't worry, if you've never heard this word somatic, Stephanie is going to beautifully describe what this word means. She's actually the creator of somatic eating, which is a body-oriented, sensation-focused therapeutic approach to eating. She has supported people all over the world, helping them to heal from disordered eating patterns, binge eating, emotional eating, chronic dieting, and body image concerns. Who doesn't see themselves in any of those things? In this conversation, I hope that you pick up some pearls of wisdom that will lessen the harsh judgment you may place on yourself as it relates to your relationship with food. And I hope that it gets you seeing yourself and food even differently if you have ever used food as a way to cope with emotionally difficult situations. This conversation was enlightening. I could have talked to Stephanie for days, I feel like, and it really just fires me up because I think that so many of us have unfairly judged ourselves and our relationship to food. And I think that in order to move to a place where we more healthfully view our food and our relationship to it, we've just got to stop the judgment, the shame, all those bad feelings and thoughts we have towards ourselves. So without further introduction, let's jump into my conversation with Stephanie. Stephanie, welcome to the show. I am so unbelievably excited to have you here. You have no idea. And I was hoping that you could start by telling the listeners, what does the word somatic even mean? 
Yeah. Well, thanks so much first for having me. I'm just thrilled to connect with you today. And yeah, I think that somatic and somatic psychology is a growing field. I know that when I first got into it almost over a decade ago, that a lot of individuals in my life were like, what is this somatic thing that you're getting into? And, you know, over a decade later, it's it's a lot more mainstream than it ever was when I first started this work. So the word somatic first just means relating to the body as distinct from the mind. So we're starting to get into this mind-body connection. And a lot of the times, a lot of therapeutic modalities are more what we call top-down approaches, where you're addressing the mind first and your thoughts and the way that you think and your beliefs and kind of working with those, whereas somatic psychology is a bottom-up approach. So we're using sensation, we're using emotion, we're using anything that's showing up in the body and working with that first to actually make a difference in the way that you maybe think. Because about 80% of communication comes from our body up to our brain. And so our body has this entirely different story that it is telling, and it's just as important. And I I like to say that not one therapeutic modality is better than the other. They're both important. And I think it really depends upon where someone is at and what is going to be most supportive to them. But what I have found just in individuals who've been drawn to my work is that a lot of individuals have been doing that top-down approach for a really long time and feeling like they're not getting to the healing that they want to be doing. And that's because we're not tapping into the body. And a lot of the times, you know, the body can hold on to every experience that we've ever had. And so if we think of like somatic work is also taking this lens of, you know, even pre-verbally, your body started to structure itself, brace itself, tense itself at a very young age to what you were experiencing in the world. And we can continue to express ourselves in that world that way as if those situations that happened to us in childhood that made us express ourselves in that maybe protective way, we live as if that's still happening right here and right now. And so if we start to tap into the body that you're actually not living in that experience anymore and kind of move that expression through the body, it gets to start to experience you can be safe here now and now and now. And that is, it takes time and it takes practice to kind of bring the body into this present moment over and over and over again. And it's really fascinating and powerful work. It's been in recent history that I've started turning to more somatic-based approaches that really the healing I've been looking for is stemmed in my experience with anxiety because I recognize for years upon years, I was very from the neck up as far as how I lived. I thought my, I thought my way through everything. And then finally I reached my breaking point when I struggled with anxiety that my body's like, yep, nope, no more. Like I can't do this anymore. So I think I love what you're saying about this recognition that our body, like this thing that we are in every single day is so much more, it's not here just to take orders from us. Like we are to be in partnership with it. And I really love that you bring this into your work that you do around different types of patterns around eating. So I'm hoping if you could now build, so we know a little bit more about what somatic means. You're the creator of somatic eating. So can you tell me what does that mean, somatic eating? 
So after being in practice for a very, very long time, you know, I was starting to see patterns in our relationship with food. So I will just, you know, back up for a second. I call myself a somatic nutritional counselor. I've been supporting individuals in their relationship with food for my entire career. So I've really seen a lot of themes and a lot of consistencies with those that I've worked with. And a lot of the times what is occurring is we have a dysregulated nervous system and our body does not feel safe. And so we disconnect from our body and food comes in to try to support us in feeling safe. It tries to support us in regulating. And so I call my work somatic eating, which is now trademarked and uh, very exciting. And uh, basically the lens that I take is that, okay, we have to start to come into relationship with the body and support the body in feeling safe again and regulated. And that's not just that we're, we want to, that the goal is to feel regulated all the time, but it's start to observe and get to learn, oh, when am I in fight or flight? When am I in freeze? What does relaxation feel like in my body? So that we actually start to learn how our body communicates to us that, oh, when I am craving this particular food, for example, that often is correlated to when I'm in a fight or flight response. And so we get to see that our cravings are actually information, you know, so often from like diet culture world, we kind of are just like, okay, if you have a craving, you got to, you know, knuckle down and don't listen to it. And I see it very differently is if we could see every impulse, every urge, every craving that our body has with food as information from our body, it's like we get to invite in a lot more curiosity and compassion about, oh, how is this my body's way of talking to me? Why do I crave this food at this particular moment? You know, once we bring in that curiosity, it's like, okay, I'm just in a fight or flight response. I'm super stressed out right now. No problem. What do I know now supports me in a non-food way through a fight or flight response? Or what are the food experiences I could have that would help me regulate? Because I never like to take food off of someone's list of regulating acts. We always have to keep it on because food is powerfully regula regulating. That is never, ever going to change. So I think it just gets to be more of an empowered choice instead of, oh my gosh, I have to judge myself or shame myself for doing something that actually is a, a tool in your toolbox to help you. And we want to build on to your regulating acts so that food isn't the only thing that is your way of supporting you and feeling safe. I'm not hearing in your approach that you're saying we take foods away or like make them forbidden. It's more so understanding when are we going to them and also to understanding that we can still have these things we can still have a healthy relationship with them it's recognizing are we using it for something other than i don't know i'll say like joy in the moment like are we reliant upon food and your work has helped me ease a lot of judgment i've placed on myself i personally like i've talked about on the podcast i struggle i'm definitely an emotional eater i have binge eat eaten in my past i definitely in moments of high stress. And what I have often done is I've done the behavior and right. I get the high of it. I feel good. I feel relief in the moment. But once I come down from that, I feel like shit about myself. I have horrible self-talk and then I jump to restrict shame, like all these things of, okay, I'm never going to do that again. Like if, 
you know, whatever, I bought a bag of cookies and it's like, I binged them and then I threw the bag of cookies away and I'm like, okay, th this, this ends tomorrow. So what I hear you say is introducing this idea around curiosity, trying to see what's underneath it rather than just jumping to the judgment. And I'm curious, how have you, whether working with your clients or like, how do you start to make that shift from, because I think a lot of people struggle with that. I think we, we talk poorly to ourselves. We go to restriction and punishment. So how do we start to kind of ease that response on ourselves and start switching more into curiosity? Something that I say to a lot of the individuals that I work with is that it is never too late to check in with yourself. And so sometimes when you're starting to want to change or transform an eating behavior, let's say that's binge eating or emotional eating or even restricting or chronic dieting, you know, that sometimes at first it's going to be checking in with yourself after the behavior is over. It might feel actually too much right now to check in with yourself beforehand because what I have found is oftentimes when we have gotten to the point where we want to, for example, binge eat, you aren't in your prefrontal cortex. You aren't in the part of your brain where you can do rational, logical thinking. You are in your amygdala. You are in your fear response. You are in the part of your brain where you are reacting out of survival. And so I think there's a lot of compassion that also gets to come into that because I hear a lot of individuals beat themselves up. Why am I doing this again? In that moment, you didn't even know that you had a choice. You didn't even know what your choices were. The only choice that was available to you that was like so ingrained in your body is like food makes me feel safe. And so automatically you are going to go to the first fastest thing that's going to bring safety back online in your body. You know, it's just like, oh, can I start to see the wisdom in that? That food actually did make me feel safe as fast as possible when I felt really threatened to be in this body. And so I think that's a, a first step of just kind of starting to see the wisdom in the behavior. And then it's saying, okay, I'm not going to leave myself afterwards. I'm not going to self-abandon. I'm not going to beat myself up. It's just like, okay, so this happened. All right. Can I now backtrack it a little bit? Even if you like to journal or call up a friend and talk it through, like whatever works for you. Some individuals aren't maybe a big fan of writing. So even if you could record your own voice and talk to yourself. You know, I think it's super creative here, whatever, even artwork, you know, if you're more expressive in visual forms, <laughs> you know, and starting to tap into like, okay, what was coming up for me? Because a lot of the times, if we kind of work this backwards, there was an emotion that came in. There was a reaction that you didn't think you were supposed to have. There was an emotion that didn't feel safe to feel because maybe you grew up with people who said, just get over it, or you don't feel the way you feel, or there was maybe even no one there to hold space for you while you were feeling what you felt. So it felt really scary. I mean, as children, we don't have the language to describe how we feel. That's often why we like throw temper tantrums. Temper tantrums are actually really important. That's where a child learns I'm feeling something and how to process that through. But I hear a lot from even those I work with of, oh, throwing a temper tantrum, that was not allowed. I could not do that. My parents would not even hold space for me to even have that happen. But actually, that was a really important developmental process to go through of like, here's how I ride the wave of a big emotion. And so there are a lot, a lot of different reasons why we cut off emotions. And I think a, a big one as well that I often work with my clients is there's usually some kind of past trauma that occurred. 
And so if we want to define what trauma is, it's anything that happened too much, too fast, and there wasn't really any regulation, co-regulation there that was in place to support us in feeling safe. And so trauma is not the event. It is how the body processed the event. So two different people could go through the same event, and if it didn't feel like it happened too much too fast, or even if it did, and a parent, a grandparent, a sibling came right in and was like, you're okay. Everything's all right. I've got you. Okay, we have a plan here. This is what we got to do. Like, come look at my eyes here. I hug you. I see you. If we didn't have that, you know, then it gets processed entirely differently in our system. And that's also why food can come in a lot of the times, or even, you know, I know like when I say food coming in, it doesn't always have to be the binge eating or the emotional eating could even just be a focus on food, what you're not eating, what you have to restrict, what you're not allowed to have. You know, any of that is also, there's a lot of wisdom to that because if you're focusing on food and what you are or are not eating, you don't have to focus on the pain that your body is holding onto or the hurt or the scary feelings that it doesn't know how to process. So, you know, I think that a first step here of what you're talking about is just taking time, even just a moment to check in with yourself after emotional eating or binge eating experience, or even after you've gone down the rabbit hole of like Googling what next diet I should go on. And it's like an hour later and you're like, oh, wow, where did I go? You know, even if you take that second to check in with yourself and you're like, how am I feeling right now? And even if you don't have language for it, you might even just describe the sensations that are present. We usually know when our shoulders are hunched up or when our like chest feels tight and just to come into contact with that. And I think that a lot of individuals are like, well, well, what then? Like, well, what do I do with that? And the way that I like to describe this, just to kind of make it a little bit approachable, and I think a lot of individuals have had this experience, is when you go out to like coffee or tea with a friend and you're having like a great conversation with them and you feel really seen and heard and they're not trying to fix anything. They just want to hold space for you. And they're like, oh yeah, you are going through a hard time. I really see you. And you walk away from that, that, you know, tea date, whatever, feeling so alive and seen like you belong here and you're understood and you make sense and it feels so regulating. That's what you're doing in that moment of just allowing your emotions to feel seen. You don't have to do anything with them. You're like, you are allowed to be here. Oh, you feel upset. You feel sad. You feel angry. I see you. You are allowed to be here with me. It is safe to have this human experience right now. And so I think then we can start to work it backwards where maybe you might catch yourself in the middle of an emotional eating experience. And then slowly you might catch yourself before you kind of go and reach for the food. But I think that takes time and practice. Oh, a hundred percent. And it's interesting as I'm hearing you talk, like it's almost like I felt a knot in my stomach start to like loosen a little bit as far as Mm. I think there's a recognition of if we can give ourselves some credit right? If we've turned to food for emotional support and maybe we picked it up from early on in our life that we don't even remember, but to know that we did the best that we could with what we had, like we were using that as a resource for comfort. So it's almost now just kind of looking to modify those comfort measures, right? Like food isn't the enemy, but let's redefine, like if we're using it to relieve stress, acknowledge it, Hey, this has worked for me perhaps there's something more supportive for me to move through or use now. 
but it's interesting because what comes up to mind too, is when you said that, you know, sometimes that pause before it happens, it's hard. I mean, I, I will a hundred percent, the hardest part of my day each and every day is two or three o'clock. Inevitably, that's when I want a cookie. I want ice cream. I want some sugar. And it's because I'm stressed out. I know my day is coming close to the end of the day, but I still feel like I have a lot to do. And I feel like I short circuit. I'm curious, just even in those, like in that example, even just acknowledging that it's starting to happen, like what would be a good first step in that example? I think start to reflect on what, around what time of day does that happen for you? You know, for you, it's that two, three o'clock in the afternoon for other individuals I've worked with. It's often like after dinner where it's like, oh my gosh, my eating day is like quote unquote supposed to be done. And so a lot can come up with that as well. And so kind of starting to pinpoint, like where is that time of the day where you start noticing those urges or cravings? And I want to also add that this craving is coming from the difference between, you know, physical hunger and emotional hunger. What we're talking about is an emotional hunger. So if you feel true physical hunger, go eat, (laughs) you know, like you are allowed to trust your hunger cues. And if you need more physical nourishment, absolutely go for it. So what we're talking about is more of that emotional hunger that no matter how much food you eat in that moment, it's never really going to satiate that hunger that's present because food isn't the thing that satisfies emotional hunger. The only thing that food adequately satisfies is physical hunger. Now, That doesn't mean that you can't choose food to try to satiate an emotional hunger. And sometimes if you feel so dysregulated, food is actually a really great resource to bring you back into your body. And I usually like to tell people to, the cues are going to be really different. You're not looking out for physical fullness because you maybe weren't physically hungry to begin with when you started to eat. So what you're looking out for when you are feeling an emotional hunger and you decide to make an empowered choice, I want to eat this cookie anyway, that's okay, that's your choice, there's nothing wrong with that, is saying, okay, when do I feel emotionally grounded again? When do I feel like I'm kind of back online? Like I feel a little bit of sense of safety, my breath feels a little bit fuller. So that also means that there is an act of needing to slow down With that food, where a lot of these behaviors usually happen very quickly because that shame and that judgment of I shouldn't be doing this comes on so fast. So even just kind of starting with, I'm not doing anything wrong. This isn't a bad decision to make. And just allowing yourself to slow down with it so you can find the emotional cues of, okay, I got what I needed from this thing, this food. Now I can move on to something else. So I wanted to first add that piece. And if you are someone who pinpoints that time of day, what I often suggest is 30 to 60 minutes before that time of day comes, starting to put into place more of a regulating act that you can engage in. So what that might look like is you know you're getting to the time of the day where you normally crave a particular food. And usually what that's telling us is your stress levels or your sense of dysregulation in your body has peaked. You are outside what we call your window of tolerance of what you can flow with. And so at that point in time, you know, we want to actually preemptively support you in regulating. And that can look like, you know what, at one o'clock, I'm going to call my best friend. 
and I'm going to have like a really great chat with them. Or at one o'clock, I am going to take a bubble bath in the middle of the day. If you can do that, if you work from home, which a lot of us do now, (laughs) you know, if it's at, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon, I'm just going to close my eyes and I'm going to take three deep belly breaths. Or I'm going to have a dance break and I'm going to turn on some music that really resonates with me and I'm going to wildly dance around my home. Or if you have a a pet, you know, I love co-regulating with my dog, you know, like if you have a pet at home and you want to just take some time to kind of spend some time with that pet, you know, touching them and, you know, scratching their ears or just having a really, you know, intimate moment with them. You know, these are things that, okay, they're going to bring more safety and regulation into your body. And so then it can kind of decrease the need to reach for food because the desire to reach for food is coming online to support you in regulating. And if you're already doing it, it releases food from the responsibility of helping you do that. So if you already feel safe in your body, the urge to then reach for food is just kind of going to naturally dissipate on its own. What I find so interesting just listening to you speak is how little the word food is being spoken about and how much (laughs) it's about nervous system and emotions, which I think are things historically we as a society haven't focused on because we are so go, 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 and we're overstimulated and we're fast and right. We, we do everything on the go. So, so many of us are walking around dysregulated, right? Anxious, not, not in their bodies. And I think you couple it with the fact that we have so many comfort measures around us that we can avoid uncomfortable so easily. But I I feel like, right, whether it's food or it's alcohol, or I even think about my struggles with anxiety, the more I learn to just get myself to a place where I'm regulated and like solid in myself, it quiets the need for those, those things like outside of myself to comfort. But I, I think that it's just, we're not we haven't been taught that, right? Like it's just, it hasn't been the mainstream message that we all grew up with. It's suck it up, go do more, go, go, go. And, and it's no wonder we turn to so many things to comfort ourselves because it's not a skill that we've developed to be able to do within ourselves. Yeah. I kind of came into my master's degree in somatic psychotherapy, like gung ho. My whole cohort at the time was like, okay, Stephanie is going to be the person who like combines somatics and nutrition and trauma work. Like I was just so passionate about that and have been for a really long time because yeah, it's not something that we're taught. And I start to experience our relationship with food more as a window inside of ourselves. You know, if we can see it as a doorway of just like, okay, I have never, ever been doing anything wrong or bad in my relationship with food. It's actually here to teach me something about myself. We get to just approach it with a lot more empathy and compassion that, like you said earlier, we've always been doing the best we can with the awareness that we've had in any moment. And so we just sometimes get to a place where, you know, at some point in time, your behaviors with food, they did help you. You know, let's say uh, another one is like fast eating. Let's say you're like a super fast eater at every single meal and you've been told your entire life you need to slow down. But let's say that growing up, the dinner table was like the most stressful experience. 
Maybe your siblings picked on you. Maybe there was fighting at the table. You learning to eat quickly was the wisest strategy to get out of there faster. And so you carried that with you into adulthood. I'm just going to keep eating fast. But at some point you realize, wait, this isn't helping me anymore. This actually isn't bringing the safety that I'm looking for anymore because you're not in that situation anymore. But it takes time to kind of pinpoint that and then realize like, you know, at first I, you know, I really like to normalize that there's a lot of grief that can come up on this journey because to actually say goodbye to a coping mechanism that did work for a period of our life and just isn't working anymore. It's kind of like saying goodbye to a best friend. Like that friend has been a part of your life for maybe decades. And so, yeah, it's going to feel sad. You know, sometimes I'll even recommend individuals kind of write a goodbye letter to, you know, whatever has been playing out in their relationship with food. Because there is kind of this grief process that needs to occur, that it's just like, oh, this actually isn't getting me to where I want to go anymore. This actually isn't bringing the regulation and safety that I'm looking to have inside of my body. And then from that space, we can kind of start to bring in new things. I often like to correlate this with if a baby was sleeping and they had a favorite teddy bear that they love to sleep with. And maybe it had like food all over it. And you kind of wanted to just like kind of take it away and clean it off. You know, you would maybe kind of like slip a different like blankie or teddy bear in there. And, but you couldn't just take that teddy bear away from them. You know, oh my gosh, that'd be like, that's my favorite teddy bear. Like, why would you do that? And they'd be super upset about that. So I find we we need to hold on to that teddy bear as we are like bringing in new regulating resources. So I think a lot of the times once this new awareness comes online of, oh, this isn't helping me anymore. Why do I keep doing this? It's like, you know what? You may need to keep doing this over and over and over again as we're building onto your somatic kind of repertoire of different ways for you to feel safe inside of your body. And at some point you can say, thanks, Teddy Bear. I'm gonna put you on the shelf now. I kind of have a, a lot of other, you know, maybe a menagerie of other things that can, can support me if I'm continuing down this analogy. But, you know, it's just like, okay, you know, we need to take that time to kind of build into new resources that you can reach out for. And we can't just take that, that food resource away from you. Just saying like, okay, I know this doesn't help me anymore. And that's what often happens with like, let's say dieting. Dieting was a resource for you. I actually really like to normalize with those that I work with that if you've gone on and off of diets over and over and over again, that there's actually a lot of correlation between dieting and like trauma, for example. They both take away your sense of choice. You know, they both disconnect you from your body. There's a lot in dieting that actually mimics the trauma response in the body that you might feel really drawn to dieting because it's what you know. It actually feels comfortable on some level. It continues that dysregulation that you're already experiencing inside of your body. And so we don't have to judge anything that you've been doing. It's like, okay, it makes sense that you would keep going on diets because also we haven't gotten to the core of supporting you and feeling a little bit more regulated in your system. You know, we have to kind of first bring in more of that sense of safety inside someone's body before you take the diet away. 
So sometimes a lot of the time, if someone comes to me and they're like, well, I'm on a diet right now, will this work work for me? And I'm like, absolutely. I'm like, you keep telling me about what it is that you're doing on your diet or what are the rules or the structure that you're following we will work within that. And I want to bring in more safety and experimentation exploration so that slowly you feel like maybe I can start releasing this diet from my life more and more. But oftentimes it, what we see is someone's like, okay, I'm just going to stop dieting or like what you mentioned earlier. Okay. I binged on these cookies and now I'm never going to do that ever again. Okay. Think back to the definition of trauma, too much, too fast. We've taken the diet, the cookie, the thing away from us too much, too fast. It's mimicking, mimicking the exact same experience that we already know in our body. And so, of course, the diet is going to come back in. Of course, the cookies are going to come back in because we are not getting to why that's coming in to begin with. I'm dumbfounded right now. You connected so many dots in that and just two things that really... <laughs> landed with me was this idea of like the grieving over the, mm. the food or the behavior that we've used to cope. Because I know there have been moments that I literally like, I can actively be choosing the cookie for the wrong reason, right? Like I will always eat cookies, but I'm in this instance, I'm using it for something other than physical hunger, right? It's emotional hunger. Like I think about what will I do if I don't have this cookie? Like what, like uh, even as I'm eating it, I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. But the thought of not having that, I'm like, but how will I feel better in this moment? Right. It's overwhelming. And it's, it's, it feels scary, but thinking about it in terms of like the grief and then also at the same time, like looking to add in coping measures, like not, not the ripping away of the thing that soothed you like that and, and connecting that with trauma. I'm like, I just don't know how many people stop and get curious about the behaviors that take place in their life. Like we do things so automatically, but when you stop and trace the dots and realize why you're doing it, it's, I guess it's right creating the awareness. So then, then you can even begin to make change from it. You know, it's, it's just wild to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I also really love to integrate parts work as well. So sometimes we need to talk to that inner child. We need to talk to that inner teenager about what they didn't get. And that back then food felt like the best choice and maybe the only choice that was available. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have heard individuals be like, well, I was just left a home alone with no one there to help me figure out what was coming up for me. And so maybe the only thing that was available at home was food. Honestly, thank goodness food was there for you so that you had something there to help you feel like I'm going to be okay. And so we kind when we kind of take that lens, it's just like, oh, you can start to see that inner child with so much love and compassion and acceptance for the decisions they felt like they needed to make. And a lot of the times the inner child, if we use the imagery of like they're behind the driving wheel, I got your meals. And we kind of have to be like, thank you so much for making my food decisions for as long as you've made them you're not really doing a, a great job at this anymore. Like if I think of, you know, uh, if you put like a five-year-old in charge of your food decisions, like what kind of food decisions are they going to make for you all day long? That would be like really, really interesting. So it's kind of saying, okay, I'm going to buckle you up in the passenger seat here. I'm still here for you. You could totally be upset with me right now. I can receive that. That's fine. But I'm going to get behind the driver's wheel now, just so that you can kind of feel a little bit more empowered that you get to make new and different choices around food that feel a little bit more respectful to you and your body today. 
And that doesn't mean not eating the foods that you love to eat. Like I always like to make this, if we can choose food from an inner child or an inner adult place, and it could be the exact same food, but the energy in which you're choosing that food is very, very different. I mean, it makes so much sense. And I just, again, I, I really applaud that your approach isn't about you can never eat this and it, it goes away, right? It's all food can be supportive. It's just the energy in which we're we're bringing it in, like we're, we're how we're using it. I think about how many times I mindlessly eat my dinner while watching Netflix. And it's like, I'm not processing what I'm eating. Like I'm just eating. So are there any tips or you know, words of wisdom you would share with us as it relates to like how, like things we could be more mindful of when we're eating. Yeah. We we don't ever want to label food as good or bad. And that's why I really take that approach of it's all welcomed here. Because as soon as you start seeing a food as bad or wrong, your body is hearing that. And then it starts to move into a fight or flight response whenever you're potentially even around that food, because you've told your body, this is a threat. This is dangerous. And then you might even want to eat more of it to try to get rid of it. Or if the body thinks you're about to go into starvation and it's going to be deprived of this food, it's like, well, I better eat as much of it as I can right now because it's going to go away. So we never want to kind of label food as good or bad. And I know like, again, diet culture does that a lot. So we need to kind of practice stepping out of that and bringing in this curiosity again of how does this food uniquely feel in my body? To answer your question now, first, you can just start to tune into your body whenever you're about to eat. And if you can kind of go through your senses and just kind of, you know, go through, do I want something that smells a certain way? Do I want something that tastes a certain way? You know, like, do you want something that's sweet or salty or bitter or spicy? You know, really going through all the many different tastes. And do I want something like temperature wise? Do I want something hot? Do I want something cold? Do I want something room temperature? you know, texture? Do I want something crunchy? Do I want something smooth? So there's so many ways. And what you're looking for when you are tapping into your body is you're looking for kind of, you know, a relaxation or an opening or even your belly kind of softens or you feel a deeper breath. Like I kind of feel this full body like, yes, that, (laughs) you know, when I'm asking myself these questions. And so you can kind of start to slowly, you know, tune in and ask yourself these questions and just kind of notice. And I think at the beginning of practicing this, I really want to normalize, you might not hear anything that's really, really normal. When you have maybe been far away from your body and its sensations and how it talks to you for maybe years and years and years and years, you might not hear anything at first. So you might just kind of take a guess you know what, I think that this and that and this might sound good together and I'm going to try it. And so, yeah, then the practice can be slowing down with that meal and with as little distraction as possible. And I think that sometimes that's difficult because a lot of the times I hear even from those I work with that they genuinely love eating in front of the television. And it's that time of relaxation. And so what I often recommend is, okay, can you mute the television on the commercials? Or, you know, if you have been watching a show for a certain period of time, can you pause it for a few minutes? You don't have to be super, super connected the entire meal to make it a very embodied somatic experience. 
you know, I even like to celebrate that if someone, you know, even has a second at the beginning of a meal that is slow and they're tasting it and they're noticing what they're enjoying about their food, celebrate that you could do that even for one second. You know, I think it takes time for us to slow down and get comfortable being back inside of our body and hearing how our body talks to us. And so, you know, a lot of the times you'll hear these suggestions around mindfulness to do something for five minutes or 15 minutes. That is a long time. I like to start with like 30 seconds, like like set a timer and be like, could I taste my food for like five seconds right now? And then you might, that might've felt enough. Like that might've felt like such a huge sensory experience of having like the sights and the smells and the taste and noticing how your body responds to it that you're like, wow, if I continue to do this, I actually might push myself into overwhelm. Then you might turn the TV back on and that might actually help you get through your meal a little bit easier. So let's not even judge eating a meal in front of the TV either, because that might be a tool that's actually helping you feel safe even being in relationship with food. And so I think it's really breaking it down into these small (laughs) bite-sized chunks (laughs) to make that little pun there. But, you know, it's really making it more of a manageable experience to be in relationship with food where sometimes that can feel really overwhelming when you start to slow down with it. And so I think to to make it that, you know, like you said, like that, that more sensorily experience or sensory experience is going through your senses. You can also do like a really quick body scan. And if there is a part of your body that you have more maybe critical thoughts around, you don't have to start there. You know, if you are someone who's more critical about like your belly, you know, you might not pay attention at first to how your belly is processing the food. You might even notice like, how are my energy levels coming back and I can feel it by my mental clarity? You know, how is, uh, you know, the warmth coming back into my body just by eating and I feel it in my fingers? You know, you can find the places that actually feel safe to connect with while you're eating, to notice what that nourishment is giving you, to have just, a, I call it like a micro moment of, you know, feeling safe and regulated even in the act of eating. Because like I said earlier, food is always going to be regulating. I mean, it produces dopamine and endorphins and serotonin, and it it is a very pleasurable experience to eat and it is allowed to be. And so when you are truly physically hungry, like you are allowed to enjoy and feel the pleasure from that food. And I find that, you know, if we feel more satisfied physically and emotionally from our eating experiences, you may feel the urge to then reach for more food decrease over time because you are allowing yourself to receive what you want to receive from the food to begin with. You know, oftentimes that judgment of even like, I shouldn't be eating what I'm eating right now keeps us from receiving what we wanted to receive from that food. Like if you want to receive pleasure and and calm and peace from a eating experience, fully allow yourself to have that because you may notice that just allowing yourself to have that moment, you don't keep eating to try to get the body experience that you're looking to have with that food. You acknowledge the reality of life and also our lifestyles because what also came to mind too, as I think about many listeners of this podcast are women with kids. And I'm sure the thought of you want me to mindfully eat my whole dinner when I have toddlers <laughs> and screaming and fighting. So even just the recognition of like for five seconds, you just 
consciously thought or experienced your food, I feel like that's so realistic. Like your micro moments. I love that. I think that sometimes we, we think that improvement has to be like this final perfect result. And we miss the opportunities to celebrate progress along the way. And I think it's just building again, like those micro moments you, you talked about. If someone is listening to this and they're like, oh my gosh, I need more of Stephanie in my life. Like the the words that you have spoken today are really landing with them and they feel like they could use some support around their, you know, whether it's binge eating or emotional eating, just their their view around food or body image. What are some ways that, that we can connect with you? First, I'm very active on social media. So you can find me on Instagram at underscore Stephanie Mara. So you will also find a link on my website to my podcast. So I also have a podcast called Satiated and I put out solo episodes that teach more about this somatic eating work. And then I also interview other individuals as well. And I have a program called the Somatic Eating Program. Just know that I launched this program twice a year. And so the next time that it will happen is in October. And then I also have my one-on-one somatic nutritional counseling practice. So if you want to work with me one-on-one, you can also also reach out to me on my contact page on my website and just say like, oh, I've heard this podcast. I'd love to work with you. And there is the opportunity to schedule a free 20 minute connect call with me on my website. So we can chat one-on-one a little bit more around what you're uniquely working through. So I think that that is all the places. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn and TikTok and Facebook and all the places, all the links are on my website. If you want to, you know, wherever social media platform you love going to, I'm probably on it. Well, and we will have it all tagged. And I have to say, as I look at my relationship with social media, the roller coaster that it is, I'm in a phase where I really am curating who and what I'm following. And I have to say, as someone who's newly following you on Instagram, it's pure gold. I learned something every single time I could show you how many of your posts I've saved. So guys, I just say this, I put this (laughs) plug in there to say if food, I mean, who hasn't struggled with food, body image, how we're using food, go follow Stephanie. I mean, you will learn something. And, and Stephanie, again, I just, I really walk away from this conversation with such like I felt this multiple times while you were talking, you've really, I think, helped to lessen the judgment that women carry so much toward themselves as it relates to food and bodies and restriction and diet and all of that. I really feel like you have shined a light on coming from a place of understanding and curiosity and recognizing that these behaviors have supported us. Let's not beat ourselves up. We did the best that we could with what we had. And now as we know more, we can choose differently. So I really just thank you for for all of your insight and wisdom you've shared. You have been a fantastic guest and I just really appreciate you being here. Guys, thank you for tuning in for this episode. Like I said, go follow Stephanie, go listen to her podcast. You will learn so much. And I can't wait to connect with you on the next episode. Bye guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Wake Up Call podcast. If you liked what you heard today, I would love for you to subscribe and leave a review. It takes just a few minutes and does wonders for helping other people find the podcast. If you want to connect outside of the podcast, you can do so by following at Alicia D. Hopkins on Instagram. And if you really liked the episode you just listened to, do me a favor. Would you screenshot the episode and tag me? I would love to see what's resonating with you. Thank you for joining me today, and I hope today's episode helped you to see that you can wake up to the change that's possible in your life.